Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tierney ou le grand pot pour éliminer Furlon. Qu'est-ce qu'il lui a fait là Qu'est-ce qu'il lui fait qu'il y a un Tierney c'est quoi C'est quoi ça Il vient souhaiter une très bonne année aux supporters d'Arsenal Kéran Tierney, quel rush Magnifique 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 Kéran Tierney Kéran Tierney Magnifique This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you too, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm all right. I am ever so slightly hungover today. Uh, Same. Yeah. Same. It was a beautiful day here in Ireland. It, it wasn't necessarily the sunniest day we've ever had, but it was certainly one of the warmest, even though really? it was overcast. It was lovely and warm. The air was warm. So I spent basically the entire day in the back garden cooking things and drinking things. And I also got this, uh, like a, a fire pit, you know, those kind of things. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. like a, it's a bowl though. It's this bowl that sits there and it projects the fire out in front of you. So I lit a fire and it went on until a little bit later in the evening than I, I maybe should have, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. We won't judge you for that. Yeah. How, how about you? You were, uh, you were there. I was at Wembley. You were at Wembley. For, how was uh, it? The England Croatia game. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it was one of those where it was quite an early kickoff. It was like two o'clock. So mm. I was in the pub at like 11 or something. <laughs> um, which, you know, if it'd be like when you go to an airport and you have a drink for getting on the plane, it's a weird time. Yeah. But um, it meant that by the evening, mm-hmm. I was slightly worse for wear. Mm. So uh, yes, I, I'm, I'm not 100% today, but I really enjoyed it. It was a really good day and the atmosphere was predominantly really good where we were sort of sat there was a few Croatian fans around us and um had a good chat with them and everyone was in really good spirits so yeah it was nice it was you know 20,000 people or something in a stadium felt like an awful lot I kind of kept thinking is this going to feel very subdued and mm. not like the real deal but it is amazing how much difference that many fans can make it didn't look like 20,000 I have no. to say, I was, you know, looking at the TV coverage, I was like, there's hardly anyone there, but maybe it's just because Wembley is so big and everyone was spread out, but... Uh, yeah, I also wondered if, I don't know, looking at where I was 
sat like the lower tier and the upper tier mm. seemed quite sparsely populated but then somewhat unsurprisingly the kind of corporate tier around the middle seemed a little bit more full mm. so i wonder if that partly explained it but i agree with you it didn't look as many as advertised um but yeah it was just great to be at a game and it's not this kind of the normal international tournament experience for lots of reasons i mean yeah. mainly that it's all being played in different countries but just to see that many fans congregating together um is that is, great is that your first game as a fan with fans back second i went to the europa league game uh arsenal played in like october you know they won like 5-1 or something oh and- yeah when there was like 2000 people there yeah, Lacazette yeah. smashed one in from very far out. I went to that, but it wasn't the same. People I were with had been to kind of cup finals and mm. the like uh, FA Cup finals, Champions League finals, and um, but it was, I think, maybe as well the fact that it wasn't a split crowd. Really, I mean, it was, I would imagine, ninety percent England fans in yeah. there. Um, that probably helped because it meant the vast majority of that twenty thousand were kind of pulling in the same direction. So yeah, it was really good. I mean. There's talk, isn't there, potentially of the semi-finals and final being up to 50% capacity at Wembley. Um, I think that would feel positively spine-tingling, frankly, in the circumstances. Yeah, yeah. And what did you what did you make of the game and the performance and, and all of that? Because I was watching it, I wasn't particularly um, I yeah, enamoured with the game. I think it was a great game, to no. be honest with you. Um we were kind of saying we imagined that for a neutral it was probably mm. not a thriller. Croatia weren't no. brilliant at all. Uh, England were very workmanlike and organised and it was a, a bit of a moment of inspiration from Calvin Phillips that got them the goal in the end, but it's not like they created a plethora of chances beyond that. Um, but they did get the result and you know the first win in any group stage, in any international competition really matters. I mean, it puts England in a strong position. The way the competition is structured, um, you're almost guaranteed to go through with one win because the third, I think half of the third place teams end up going through to the knockouts this time. Right. Um, so yeah, England are in a good, strong position now. They've probably beaten the, the toughest opposition in the group, but I'm really fascinated by the next game, England, Scotland. I mean, that will be, Ooh, yeah. um, spicy <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. There's some rivalry there, isn't there for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. They still seem a bit aggrieved about a few things that have happened in the past. So, <laughs> <laughs> which I can appreciate. A common theme with England at times, that. Yeah, that's true. We've got a lot of countries <laughs> who don't like us. But um, yeah, and listen, I mean, it was, obviously there was a lot of controversy around the taking the knee and what would happen mm. there. I can only speak for sort of where I was stood and, and my section of the support. It felt like um, it was massively drowned out. Any mm. kind of opposition, people were really supportive and clapping and cheering. Um but there was still an audible element of the fan base that, you know, wanted to make themselves heard against that, which I was really disappointed by. I kind yeah. of thought maybe this is my snobbery speaking, but I thought maybe in London, you know, there wouldn't be a trace of that. And uh, maybe that was a bit naive on my part because there very much was. Yeah, that's a shame. I mean, look, there are people filming themselves booing at their own televisions, you know, so this yes. is, this is you know... This has reached ludicrous proportions, really. And I think, you know, um, yeah, look, I'm glad to hear it was it was drowned out for the most part. 
Um, yeah, yeah, it definitely was. It definitely was. And um, well, he spoke yeah, very mean, well about it last week, didn't he, Gareth Southgate? You know, whatever people think about him as a manager, I think in the last week or so, and he wrote that piece for the um, was it the Players Tribune, mm-hmm. um, which is a good read, and he spoke very well about it last week, and. Um, yeah, look, it's... And I think that's a huge part of the job, to be honest with you. Mm. You know, speaking as a kind of England fan, um, I I would much rather have uh, someone who's sort of a good I mean, statesman, mm. you know, in some ways, than I would someone who was a maybe effective coach, but an absolute wanker. Like, I think the, <laughs> I think the job is kind of bigger than what happens on the pitch in some respects. Well, and certainly at the Southgate, moment, yeah. There's a yeah, lot going on. Yeah, and Southgate yeah. understands that, I think, and I think it makes him very well suited to it. Um, ideally, you want both, you know. But mm. it, it, I was reminded a little bit of Arsenal's trouble at left-back towards the end of the last season when I was watching England because um, they had Kieran Trippier, obviously, playing as a left-back, which raised a few eyebrows and certainly yeah. inhibited them a bit on that flank going forward. Yeah, that was a one. surprise. Yeah, it was a su- surprise selection, I guess, given he's got, what, Luke Shaw and uh, Chilwell in the squad. And Bukai so. Saka, uh, if yeah. required. Well, yes, and nobody wants to play him at left-back except me, it seems. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, an, uh, an interesting slash... Well, how would you describe that selection? Was it specific for this particular opposition or what was the thinking mm, behind that? I think they're a bit worried about Tyrone Mings, who's the left-sided centre-half. He's kind of playing because Harry Maguire's out and mm. maybe maybe they wanted Trippier on that side to just give a bit more stability and cover. I think they want to play Trippier because of set pieces. He's got good delivery. Yeah. Um, but then he's picked a shit ton of right-backs, hasn't he? And he's got Carl Walker um, and Reese James as well to consider. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if he'll stick with it. I wonder if against Scotland he might be a little bit more expansive um, and it might have just been something that was required to get past Croatia. But mm. we shall see. Bakai Saka, named on the England bench, head of a hundred million pound rated Jaden Sancho, who didn't make the cut. So So um, he's got to be worth more than a hundred million pounds. Is that what you're saying? Million and one. Hundred million I would and say, one. <laughs> uh, in typical Arsenal fashion. No, I didn't see him, obviously. Saka mm. didn't get on. Um not sure how much we will see him, to be honest, in the tournament, but maybe there'll be some minutes for him in, in the remaining two group games. Mm. Did you see any of the other games yesterday? I did not watch Austria versus North Macedonia. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I did see me. some of that one because I was still in the pub and actually mm. there was some nice moments. I mean, a really great opening goal from Austria. I don't know if you've seen it since, but no, Sabitzer plays a kind of pinged crossfield pass. And the Sabitzer, guy, eh? Hmm. Yeah. And the guy takes it on the volley, sort of into the corner first time. It's just a re- I don't know if what other people thought of it, but I loved that as a goal. It's kind of a, a pinged diagonal pass that's scored on the volley at the far post. Um, and then Goran Pandev scored his first international tournament goal at, ah. I think, 34 or something. He's been around forever. Um, but finally got to grace a big I tournament. I actually read a piece, a good piece, um, on him yesterday, right? Uh, by Nick Ames in the Guardian, as well worth checking yeah. out if you have a if you can take a look. He's had at a that. very good career, but kind of obviously never really had much opportunity to make an impact at this level. Um, I, so I saw bits and bobs of that. I, I wish I'd watched the Holland game. Mm. I didn't. I've caught the highlights since, but that seemed like a really fun match. The second half in particular was really fun. Uh, some good goals. A bit of a comeback from. Uh, Ukraine and then was it nil nil at half time? Nil nil at half time. 
Wow, and then just went crazy. Yeah, went crazy. Some really um, dodgy goalkeeping, I have to say. That always uh, helps. Yeah, that always helps. So you know, it was a it was a fun uh, uh, a fun game to watch in the garden last night, which was great because I, I got this new Wi Fi extender and it, it lashes the Wi Fi out into the garden, so I can watch oh. on my iPad, which is lovely. I didn't think I'd be able to. I was sort of torn between going inside, uh, but then staying outside on such a, a, a lovely uh, evening. So. Um, That's great. A Wi-Fi extender that works is an invaluable thing. Yeah. You've done well there. Yeah, we had a question about the guy that scored the winning goal, actually. I can't remember. Let me see here. Denzel Dumfries. Yeah, the Bruised Banana podcast said, is there a better name in world football than Denzel Dumfries? (laughs) Or Dumfries? I mean, I think there probably is a need for more Hollywood stars mixed up with Scottish towns. You know what I mean? Like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Brad Aberdeen or, or Samuel L. Kilmarnock uh, would be amazing yeah. footballer names. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's a curious player as well. Um, he's been linked with a move to the Premier League a couple mm. of times. We did one of those kind of scouting pieces on The Athletic about right back. And yeah. statistically, he he pops out because he's incredibly athletic and, you know, gets forward really well. He's still playing in Holland, I think, for PSV. Mm. Um, but he is also slightly clumsy with his delivery. Uh, I saw someone on Twitter comparing him to kind of a right-sided said Kalasinac, and there is something to that. Um, but he made a big impact last night, was involved, I think, in all all Netherlands goals. Should have mm. scored another one himself uh, and did score the winner. I think he's... I don't think he's right for us, but I think he's tailor-made for the Premier League. I bet we see him here at some point. Interesting, interesting. Uh, Leonardo Dundee, there's another guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, oh, nice goal. I'm just watching that Austrian goal. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's a nice goal, right? It's kind of very visually satisfying. Yeah. Um, He's another player we've been linked with a bit, isn't he, Sabitzer? Yeah. He seems to be available at a, a relatively knockdown price this summer and for a club that's looking for... I guess some value in the market. He might be of interest. Yeah, how old is he? He's twenty-seven. So you know, can't do it. It's not not like can't do it. Anymore. Well, yeah, yeah, the Thomas Party rule in effect. Um, I do think Arsenal are. We'll, we'll come on to this, no doubt. But looking in a a, a younger age bracket this mm. summer, predominantly. But um, I like him as a player as well. I think he's, I think he's really talented. Um, he scored some pretty spectacular goals mm. in his time as well. What we're talking about? Oh, the Holland-Ukraine game. The other thing I just want to say about that yeah. is how much I loved the contrast in the kits. It was a very visually yes. satisfying game to watch. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. I like it. I always, you know, have, since like the 1978 World Cup final mm. when uh, the Netherlands lost to Argentina and I was pretty much inconsolable uh, because I was up for the Netherlands. Um, I was watching it from under under a chair. I was allowed to stay up late and watch it. Uh, I've always liked the, the Holland kit, I have to say. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a thing of beauty. Um, and yeah, it's just really... I, can't, I forget, were Ukraine wearing blue last night? Very possibly. But there was like a really nice uh, contrast. I was annoyed, you know, I've been a bit annoyed about some of the kits. Italy, of course, played in white on Friday. Yeah. Should have been in blue. Things like that really get my goat. <laughs> <laughs> Focusing on the big matters at hand. Sure. Um, 
Yeah, so it was been a kind of weird weekend. I kind of feared for the tournament a little bit on Saturday with what happened to Christian Eriksen. It was obviously so uh, shocking and arresting. Mm. You kind of feel like, how do we move forward from yeah. here? But fortunately, I think the good news about his condition has kind of enabled that to happen. Yeah, I mean, Peter Hust says, good morning, gents. Have you been affected by the events in Copenhagen on, on Saturday? And it was genuinely harrowing wasn't it to mm. to see it happen to see him fall and the way he stumbled and and just the Were way you watching live i sort of was in the kitchen and i heard them talking about it and then went in and and started watching um and then mm. i what yeah i mean just sort of when, when something like that happens and you see the seriousness immediately of a situation like that in a, an athlete, and we've seen it in the past, where, you know, I mean, look, the, the, they said the Danish team doctor came out, didn't he, and said he was gone, basically. Mm. He was gone. And they, you know, were able to perform CPR and defibrillators and, and all of that, which, you know, thankfully saved his life. But but when something like that happens in real time and you're looking at it, you, you can't help but fear the worst, you know, because it is such a, um, what's the way to put this? Like, it's just such a... Uh, a shocking health event. I don't quite know what I'm trying to say here, but you know what I mean? It's so, so quick and so sudden that, that you fear that the outcome is going to be um, negative. I don't know how yeah. those, I don't know how those players were able to go out and play. Genuinely. No, I mean, that kind of seemed crazy to me, to be honest. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I know they were given a choice of playing the following day and they decided to do it that day and apparently Christian Eriksen expressed his wishes that they go on and play the game but mm. I was amazed at that to be honest um, and obviously sort of the game itself and the result paled into insignificance as opposed to trying to get some updates and mm. good news about his condition and and I think you're right it was absolutely shocking I um, how did it affect me I'll tell you precisely how it affected me I'd had a row with my wife not long before. Not a big row, just like a disagreement. I can't even remember what about. Mm. And when that happened, um, I was watching the BBC coverage and yeah. Alex Scott said, oh, I've just called my mum and told her I love her. And uh, as kind of cheesy as this sounds, the same thing happened in my home where I was like, I can't believe we're having a stupid row about, yeah. you know, who left the... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, washing machine you know, on or something. I don't yeah, know, you yeah, know yeah, something, yeah. whatever ridiculous D domestic. Trivial, yeah, completely trivial. Exactly. Yeah. It just really put all that in perspective. And I was, and also, you know, it puts things like football rivalries in perspective. I mean, Christian Eriksen's a guy with a big history at Spurs who, you know, I don't think any Arsenal fan thinks of too fondly, but suddenly when it's placed in that context with that degree of seriousness, you immediately see people's humanity, you know, cut across that. And um, that's absolutely right, but it's also quite, heartwarming and reassuring mm. um, and and you know as shocking as it was I, I guess one thing I would say is like apart from a hospital there probably aren't many better places for that to, to happen you yeah. know he's no, you're right. surrounded by equipment and medical staff and um, I think it's a rule since the Fabrice Moramba thing I think there have to be defibrillators on site in yeah. stadiums so that provide, gave him a chance and obviously he's a very fit guy but man, he's a very lucky guy too. I he mean, is, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, it was... What a a relief. Yeah, it really was. It was just uh, those moments where you're trying to wonder what's going to happen with him um, and you're hoping for the best possible outcome. Yeah, I have to say I was really... uh, Even on Sunday morning when I wrote about it a bit for the blog, I was just like, oh, fuck, this is... You know, I'm relieved and glad and happy that the worst didn't happen, but it's still really tough to witness something like that and, and to to sort of have this collective fear that I think everybody felt, you know? Mm. Uh, and what what we felt watching from afar and with, with a certain amount of distance, you know, as you say, I'm not Danish. I'm not uh, a Spurs fan. I wasn't at the game. You know, these things provide us with distance from... Um, from him, if you like. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the people who were there, who were his friends and his family and his teammates and the fans in the stadium who were in close proximity to this, I can only, I can't even imagine what it was like for them to to endure those moments uh, and that period of time where we weren't sure what was going to happen with him. So for them to come out and play, even if... Christian Eriksen um, wanted them to go on and wanted them to play and gave them the AOK and and everything else. I mean, I I, I get the sense that um, you know UEFA. I mean, the UEFA thing really annoyed me. Uh, I have to say, in that you know they they made an announcement on Twitter which said you know the match is going to go ahead, blah 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 blah, and the player has been transferred to hospital and is stabilized, something like that. Mm-mm-mm. And I think it really said something about their corporate outlook or mindset that the first update was not about the player's health. It was about the the match going ahead again. You know what I yeah. mean? It was really, yeah. I, I found that really poor. Somebody in the UEFA communications department needs to, to have a good talk uh, with themselves about how that was presented and, and everything else. Um so, I mean, it must have been just genuinely traumatic for players on, on both sides. I mean, have you ever been in a football match where someone's got badly injured? Have you ever played in one where someone's been badly injured? Yeah, I played in one where a guy broke his leg once. Yeah, and, I think a broken ankle. Yeah, yeah I, I, I have played yeah, in one. I played in where a guy broke his leg once. And it's like, th- th- that's an injury and it's not nice, but it's as um, injuries go... A pretty simple one to fix. It's painful mm-hmm. and it takes a bit of time, but generally speaking, you know, stick him in a plaster and, you know, go around on crutches for six weeks and you can start to, to get better again. But even something like that was, I remember at the time, quite uh, had an impact on, on all the players, you of know, course. on our team and their team. So for, to see somebody nearly die... I, I just can't really get my head around it. And I think credit to... You know, obviously the, the the medical staff and and the people who who saved his life, their training and and everything else. And look, a- anybody can learn how to do CPR. So mm-hmm. you know, if you're listening to this and you don't know, and you you know maybe you play football on a Friday with your mates like I do, you know, learning how to do CPR properly is is important, wasn't it? Um, uh, what's the player's name? Simon Kerr. 
Is that how you pronounce yeah. his name? Yeah. Um, you know, who, who turned him on his side and made sure he didn't swallow his tongue and things like that can, can aid in the, the other efforts to, to save his life. Um, Definitely. Yeah, that intervention probably really critical, you know. Yeah. Um, so I just, like, it's the professionalism of the players after everything they've been through, um, you know, in the last 12, 18 months, I think we forget sometimes that these guys are human and the schedules that they've been um, exposed to and the amount of, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, <clears throat> footballers get out there and do football for our entertainment. The nation will be you know, cheered up by you guys playing football. You know what I mean? It's your duty. It is your duty. I mean, that's what it was. That's almost what it was like. And look, they're very privileged. We know that. They're privileged in the sense that they're well-paid. They're doing something for a living that we would all love to do. They have the, the, the privilege or the benefit of, you know, testing and, and being able to exist in, in these kind of, in inverted commas, safe bubbles. You know what I mean? But there must have been, over the course of this last season, huge mental and physical impacts on them. You know what I mean? Mm. And mm. and I'm not saying that this is a consequence of that, but I do think one of the things that, that really we need to think about or maybe just remember is that these guys are, are people too. Christian Eriksen was not a footballer in those moments. He was a person. He was a father. He was, I don't know if he's a father, but you know what I mean? He was a husband. Mm -hmm. He was a son. He was a a brother, a cousin, whatever he was. That's what that brings home, you know, to me anyway. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't agree more. Uh, the, 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 The Danish players standing around him, protecting him was really, I think will be probably the image of the tournament i can't imagine there will be anything more than that what did you what did you make of the the coverage and the the footage of him yeah being given cpr and and that kind of stuff how did you feel about that i well the first thing to say is i kind of sympathize with broadcasters in a situation like that because they don't have um all the facts, they're making those decisions very fast. Mm. That said, I think as soon as it was clear any kind of CPR was being administrated, mm. I think you have enough facts to know you probably shouldn't be televising it, mm. you know? Um, I don't know, like, if the BBC, I think, who had it in the UK, were responsible for the stream. I, I doubt that very much. No, I imagine it's UEFA kind of, control the coverage. Yeah, exactly. Um and I, I'd felt. I mean, apparently they cut at one point to his wife in the crowd. Yeah, um, she was on the she was on the sideline. I think Casper Schmeichel came over and was, you know, consoling her or talking to her. And I, yeah, if, it's I, yeah. What, what did you think? I thought it was intrusive and grotesque mm-hmm. at times. Um, I mean, had he died, you know, I think that would have been even oh, more so the case. And abs- yeah. It would have been awful, you know. It, so it, it felt like reality TV. That's what yeah. it felt like, and and it's not. And I know pretty much everything is entertainment these days, and football is entertainment, and reality TV is prevalent, and you know, people willingly expose themselves to television cameras to for whatever reason. I can't get my fucking head around it. You know, if you're willing to make it. 
twat of yourself on camera, you can make a, a good living for yourself, it seems. And many people are prepared. Uh, and I'm not talking about acting, James, don't worry. You know, uh, many people are prepared <laughs> to do that. You know what I mean? But this was not reality TV. This was real life. And this was somebody's life that was in the balance. And we were looking yeah. at it. And I, I do think there need to be some protocols put in place. Thankfully, this kind of thing does not happen with any kind of frequency or regularity. So, you know, I, I can think of a I can think of a couple that happened during, you know, let's say the lifetime of Ars blog. We had the Fabrice Muamba. There was Mark Vivian Foy. Do you remember mm-hmm. that one? Was that at the African Cup of Nations, I think? Yeah. Maybe. Um, you know, but but these are really rare events. However, I do think it's important that in the wake of this, there there is some sort of discussion between broadcasters or the people that are are, are uh, responsible for providing the pictures to the various broadcasters around the world who can make their own decisions on things as well. They could cut to studio. They could, you know, the producer could cut to a certain shot, whatever, uh, you know, is available to him and, and everything else. But I find it a little bit hard to take when it is decided for us that we are not allowed to see a nude man or a nude woman run on a football pitch. You know what I mean? Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. because look, I, I think it's one of the reasons, obviously, is that if you show them, you maybe um, encourage, encourage that, more yeah. people, right? But uh, an injury. We're not allowed to see a replay of a tackle that's caused a serious injury. They've decided mm. that for us, that mm. that's too gruesome and that's too grisly for us to 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 be witness to but cameras can linger on a guy being given cpr when it looks very uh, clearly like he's had a heart attack and is maybe going to die that doesn't seem right that no. doesn't seem right to me so um no i'm with you there 100 hopefully some lessons are learned mm. from this um it's not the first incident of its kind but maybe it's the first that's been televised quite so widely in Europe and mm. uh, I think the reaction will hopefully be instructive. Yeah, well look, thankfully, thankfully the news was good and he is going to recover. Um you know, he's he's it, it just tells you really that for for all of us the most important thing we have is our health. Mm. And it sounds mm. a little bit trite and I know that well, it's that, that old saying, isn't it? Death is the great leveler. But really, it's it's true that, that regardless of what you have or you don't have in life, good health is the single most important thing. And uh, hopefully he, he can continue to make uh, a full and speedy recovery. And, you know, I don't know what it means for his football career. Um, I guess they've got some work to do. Work is the wrong word. But, you know, I guess they're going to have to try and figure out exactly why this happened uh, to him and whether it's um, whether it's the end for his football career. But, you know, I think it's a very obvious choice if you're being uh, handed life in one hand and a football career in the other, you're choosing life. So um, Yeah, I imagine, you know, if it comes to that choice, his, his football career, as much as he must value it enormously, will be placed in some perspective, you would think. Mm. Um yeah, who knows? And I don't know enough medically to know what would be correct. Obviously, Fabrice Mwamba never played again. Um, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure he would have liked to, but equally, I'm sure he wouldn't swap of course. what he has now and the life he has now. So 
we shall see. But I'm just glad, so glad that it was kind of a, a, re- a seemingly positive outcome. And as I say, I think it would have cast such a tremendous shadow over the tournament. Um, so, yeah, on every count. Yeah, I mean, there's no point speculating about what might have happened, you know, um, or, or getting angry about what might have happened if the worst had happened because it didn't. Mm. So, you know, again, all we can say is um, good luck to him. And, and thankfully, you know, like you say, he he was he was kind of lucky it happened where it happened. Um, yeah, because of the yeah. expertise that w- that was around, and uh, even if it playing out in full view of of people was something that was um, an unfortunate part of this. The fact that it happened in a football stadium with doctors, with equipment, with specialists, with with a load of people around who could help him, uh, it's great. And look, good luck to him, and good luck to Denmark. It felt a really weird game afterwards. I have to say, mm. it was, you know, they missed a penalty and. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know how that... Which he probably would have taken, yeah. yeah. And uh, even when Finland scored, the guy seemed sort of apologetic. Oh. Um, it was a strange atmosphere. and uh, Yeah, how could I it not be? How could it not yeah. be? Yeah, and, and to be honest, I don't know if their Denmark's tournament will recover. It's just such a... Like you say, when you've been in that in that situation of having someone get even a mild injury on a football pitch, mm. you know how it affects you and how it affects the game. Something that serious. Um, I don't quite know how they'll get over that but um, yeah huge testament to their character that they were able to play at all to be honest with you mm, so today what have we got at the Euro Scotland Scotland Kieran Tierney Kieran Tierney, yeah. Kieran Tierney against Czech Republic um, so that could Absolutely. be good uh, what is the afternoon game it I is... don't know it's Spain versus Sweden in the evening um, which I'll be watching because I'm sort of half working on it and then Poland Slovakia okay is the 5pm Right, right, right. Um, so, yeah, the, will that be the Robert Lewandowski show? We will find out. Yeah, probably. Kieran Tierney, we'll be looking to see how, how Kieran Tierney does. He is, I suppose, beyond Saka, he is the the most um, Arsenal interest we've got in this. So, Granit Xhaka, of course, played for uh, for Switzerland against, against Wales. Yeah, against Wales. How much longer he's going to be an Arsenal player remains to be seen. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else from the Euros or from this bit before maybe we take a break and go into some of the uh, some of the more Arsenal-y transfer stuff which comes in the way of questions yeah I think no that's I think that's all I really had from the Euros I think let's uh, take a break and get straight into the questions okay we will do that we will come back with your questions and more in part two right after this learn CPR Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? 
and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog, and also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. I'm going to go first, if you don't mind. By all means. Right. We have a question, uh, sort of a starter question here from Eddie Longbridge, who's at Eddie Longbridge, and he says... If Ben White is brought in, then who is he replacing? And also, uh, from the Discord, it comes from... God damn, why don't I have my glasses on or the text bigger? Biron. (laughs) He's got three N's at the end of his name, so that's why he's called Mm. Biron. He says, uh, what do you think about the price quoted for the Ben White deal? Surely if we're allegedly spending up to £50 million on a centre-back... We have money to burn in other more important positions. Or is this just bad money management? So as somebody who's been reporting on this uh, Arsenal interest in Ben White, give yeah. us give us the sus, James. Give us the lowdown. What's well, happening, man? It's something that we've talked about quite a lot over the last few months is Arsenal's continuing search for mm. a centre-half. And I know some people have kind of raised eyebrows at that because they have a lot of centre-halves. And in William Saliba particularly, they have a right-sided centre-half who could potentially come into the squad next season. Mm. Um, Nonetheless, it appears Arsenal are interested in adding someone in that area. And at the moment, Ben White is the name at the top of the list. Um, They really like the guy from Sevilla, Jules Koundé. Mm. But I think there were reasons that was a difficult deal to do uh, and so it seems they've moved on to white and are you surprised that this guy is the target uh a little bit a mm. little bit i have to be honest and say i've not spent hours and hours watching brighton games mm-hmm. and um so you know i'll have to be doing my homework on, on that front if you look at Ben White's kind of statistical profile, there are really interesting things about him, mm. particularly his ability as a ball carrier. He's someone who can dribble out of defence really effectively. Mm. Um, and, you know, that can be really helpful, can take people out of the game. And Arsenal, if you think about what they're losing in David Luiz and his kind of ability on the ball, it does make a degree of sense. I think what is going to surprise people most is going to be the kind of projected fee for the player, right? I mean, mm. I think we reported between 40 and 50 million Brighton would want. And I think that's realistic. I mean, I, I do think we certainly would be talking north of 40 million pounds for somebody like Ben White. And his Englishness yeah. is definitely a factor in that. Um, of course, his Englishness might be a factor in why Arsenal want him too. Homegrown. You know, spoken about homegrown quotas. And I do think that's one of the... One of the areas they kind of have to focus on in the summer is making sure that they can flesh out that aspect of it. And also maybe culturally, I do suspect there's a slight thing of, um, we all remember the kind of failed British core project from a mm. while ago, but everything I hear tells me that people like Kieran Tierney, people like Rob Holding, Callum Chambers 
are really valued uh, in the group. You know, someone, some sort of uh, kind of a kind of different kind of core. Not necessarily people who are going to play every game, but people mm. who contribute to the culture. Um, and White is similar age, um, also part of the England setup. I think also we'll have other suitors. Um, you know, Liverpool have been linked very strongly. Uh, I think, who else was it that's been linked very strongly? PSG have been mentioned in dispatches potentially. Right. So, so I, I think there'll be competition too. So I don't think it's um, a fait accompli, but I think it's something Arsenal are definitely working on. Uh, and yeah, I think it has caught people a little bit off guard. What What did you make of the news when you saw it? I, well, interesting, certainly, that that level of investment could be made in a in a central defender. I mean, like you, um, uh, the 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 idea that Arsenal have been after a central defender is that's not news. Uh, I think no. that's pretty widely known. I was just curious as to what kind of player we were going to bring in. Um, you know, he's not the tallest. Um, no. So... And nor- he's about six foot, and Kunde's yeah. under six foot. He's like 5'10", or something like that. So right. that's clearly, you know, not necessarily their concern. Um, I think it has been much more... Well, I, I think Ben White can defend, but I think a big part of this has been ability on the ball. Mm. Um, and Brighton have played some very good football. He had a very good uh, loan spell at Leeds as well, didn't he? Yes, I think it was pretty crucial to their promotion campaign, if I'm right. He's also quite versatile. You know, he can play... I think he played for England the other day on the left of a back three. Um, He can play as a right-sided centre-half, obviously. He's played for England as a holding midfielder, briefly, too. Mm. Um, You know, I think if you think about the way Arsenal play, the demands of that right-sided centre-half role a lot of the time they're building up kind of in a two or a three and that player is almost playing at times last season as a kind of right back or or in the channel. And while Rob Holding can kind of get away with that, it's maybe not where he's best. It requires a sort of degree of agility that's maybe not his natural game, may not be the natural game of William Saliba either. So I think Ben White fits the plan in that respect. I think the money thing is... Just so interesting because if you can do that... What else can you do? What else can you do? Because I don't have the impression um, that this is kind of the deal that Arsenal are working on and that's going to be the budget gone. I do think they see this as one of several um, significant signings they would want to make to bolster the squad for next season. Mm. Uh, And so I personally, I'm encouraged by the price. I know people might go, <laughs> well, uh, you know, is that really how we should be allocating resource? And that's a separate discussion. But the fact that Arsenal feel confident enough that they could reach mm. that sort of price in the circumstances we're in financially um, is interesting for sure. It is. And look, here, here's the thing. I think right-sided centre-half is a position we need to improve on. Um, Do you? Because not everyone does, right? Not well, everyone sees it as a priority. I... I, I've said this before. I think Rob Holding is a good squad option, a decent squad player. I think he's a good kind of backs to the wall defender. You know mm. what I mean? If there's a if there's a game where you're having to deal with a load of crosses and and that kind of stuff, I think that really suits him. But I'm not and sure. Seemingly, as I mentioned earlier, a good person to have around. Yeah, yeah. 
But I don't think that's the way Arsenal should be looking to play, if you if you get what I'm saying. You know, we shouldn't no, I mean, be. Unless we forget, he under was very nearly out the door 12 months ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the, the thing people have spoken about a lot in the wake of this interest is obviously if we're spending 40, 50 million pounds on a central defender, we did spend 28 million pounds or do a 28 <laughs> million pound deal for a central defender two years ago now, yeah. William Saliba. And while I do think there are scenarios where it doesn't mean the end for Saliba, like if you're looking to raise a few quid, Rob Holding could be a good sell. You know what I mean? Even if he yeah, is, if you're he, open to that, if you're yeah, open to that, so. he's a good sell. He's just signed a new contract. He's English. He's in you know the the prime years of his career. Maybe there's a, a scenario whereby Ben White becomes your first choice, and Saliba is is a backup option to him. Um, Saliba can also play on the left in a mm. in a back two. He can play in a back three. I'm sure. Do you feel like we're overburdened with central defenders if we bring this guy in? And do you think it means the end for someone? And and maybe with Saliba, I mean. It's hard to see a scenario whereby a manager who has got his job on the line is too strong, right? But Mm. there's an awful lot of pressure on Mikel Arteta to produce results next season. There aren't many managers in the world who would entrust their one side of their um, defense to a 20-year-old. Mm. Are there? Uh, uh, not too many. Not too many. Unless you have no uh, choice. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons they might be paying a premium for Ben White is he is someone who comes with substantial Premier League experience. Mm. Um, he's kind of shown he can cut it in this league, which we don't know yet about William Saliba. Mm. I, I think you make a good point about the possibility of selling holding. Personally, just based on things that I hear about, you know, his presence uh, in the squad and how much the staff like him. I I read this as bad news for William Saliba. I do see it that way. Um, and it's, that's my opinion. You know, I'm saying that sort of just looking at it and knowing what we know and seeing what we see about how Arteta feels about Saliba, the fact that he didn't want to use him last summer. Um, I just don't, I don't really buy that it's changed. And everything that we've heard from Arteta, I feel personally has been very non-committal. You know, he's always said, Mm. of course he'll come back to us in the summer. But he's never said he'll be with us for the duration of next season. And I see him as a really important player. Um, Not in a way that's convinced me at any rate. Mm. And I I don't know if we can carry five centre-halves next season. Plus Chambers, maybe. Yeah, who expect minutes as well. It's not like one of them is um, an academy kid who's 18. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Who might get the odd game in the cup, but is basically going to be happy not playing or or per Mertzacker at the end of his career being wheeled out on occasion, but basically not being part of the squad. Mm. All these guys want to play, expect to play. I mean, we had an interesting question, actually. Um, I'll see if I can find it now. It was about squad building um 
Here you go. Um, Critical T says, Many have said we need to reduce the size of our squad with fewer matches in the coming season. If we achieve our goals next season and make it back into Europe, we'll need a squad capable of playing a season with domestic and European football. Is there a risk our attempts to downsize this year mean that our job in next summer's window will end up being as big as this season's or even bigger where we'd somehow make it into the Champions League? Look, I don't think we're going to cut our squad down to like 18 or 16 players. That's just not yeah. realistic. Um, I suppose the reason I ask that is like, is there a chance that maybe one of these centre-halves could spend this season out on loan, mm. you know, and before coming back? Um, well, I mean, if it's Saliba, if it's another loan for William Saliba, it will be three years mm. as a an Arsenal player in... in inverted commas, without having played for the club, which is is crazy. I can't understand, you know, how the player himself would be would be on board with that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I suspect not. I suspect not. It's um, hard not it's hard not to look at that deal with a crooked eye, to be honest. And this is not criticism of William Saliba, just to be very clear. But for a football club like Arsenal to spend that much money on an 18-year-old centre-half and for him not to have played for the club in two years is just, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it is, it is, a, it is a, a crazy situation. You know, a huge amount of money to spend on a player who effectively hasn't contributed anything mm. to Arsenal in that time. Um, not his fault, of course. Just, you know, no, that's the reality no. of the... And, and you can debate, I guess, the degree to which the manager is kind of culpable here. You know, Mikel Arteta would probably hold his hands up and say, well, you know, I didn't buy that player. I didn't choose that player. Um, but you could equally say, well, this is the squad you were given to work with. Yeah. Therefore, you need to... There are a lot of players he didn't buy in the squad that he uses yeah. and plays. So, you know, yeah. I don't I don't know that it's that one. And I've said this before, I, I, I completely understand the thinking behind um was it Arsene Wenger who said, you know, if you play a twenty year old centre half, something along those lines, he'll cost you was. points over the course of the season, you know. And I think everyone can see that. So I I, I was on board with the idea of Saliba going on loan last season and you know, we don't need to just sort of um, relitigate the whole mm. um, fuck up we made at the start of the season, where four months of his career were wasted. But it does feel like there is some level of incompatibility between him and and Mikel Arteta for sure. I mean, it's it seems it's dividing me, yeah. line, it's boundary line type stuff for for some fans as well, which I think is really very interesting. I think it's an interesting phenomenon that there is this. Um, this sort of staunch level of support for Saliba, and I get why people are invested in it. We, you know, paid a lot of money. He looks an exciting young player, an exciting young defender. We've had our fill of annoying, error-prone, Hank Scorpio-looking fucking central defenders in mm. our time. You know, so I get why people are invested in him and the idea of him. Um, but it is kind of more the idea of him at the moment, isn't it? Because we don't have 
um, any evidence of, of what he can do for us in an Arsenal shirt. And maybe it's a sort of circular thing because he hasn't been given that chance. But I think it is yeah, quite it an is interesting It's definitely thing. strange. It's definitely strange. And, um, you know, if there is an opportunity to recoup a significant chunk of what Arsenal have paid for him, maybe it is the time to take it. If it just mm. isn't compatible between player and coach at this point, um, maybe that's the way it goes. I, I do wonder, though, about Alone. The only reason I say that is he's still under contract with Arsenal for quite a while. And also, if things go badly for Mikel Arteta in the first six months of next season, mm. there might be a change at managerial level. And then where does that leave you know, the Saliba situation, how much does that influence things? It, it, it's a really delicate one. And I suspect you're right. The player's own wishes will be a big factor in it. Mm. You know, is he going to be content with the uncertainty of another loan spell? Is he really committed or bothered about the idea of playing for Arsenal at this point mm. after so long with so many setbacks and problems? Um, how determined is he to kind of, you know, see this through? I don't, I don't know. Um, but it's, it, it is a, it's a really odd one. And I think you're right. It is a, a, a kind of line in the sand for a lot of fans. Mm. I think when you make a big signing, there's a lot of emotional investment in that. You yeah, know, we've yeah. seen that with yeah. Pepe and with others. People want that to pay off and work out. And, <laughs> You know, there's Saliba's kind of being filed, I think, next to sort of Matteo Guendouzi and Meza Ozil as, as players that Arteta, but for some fans, hasn't given a sufficient chance. And what I would say is Ozil and Guendouzi, from what I could see, had a lot more chances than Saliba. Yeah, and I don't really know that anything Guendouzi or Ozil have done since leaving... Um really strength strengthens their cases. You know what I mean? No, I mean, Saliba had a better loan with Nice than Guendouzi yeah, did for sure. with Hertha, for sure. Yeah. Um, mm. So, yeah, very odd, very curious. Um, Look, the bottom line is we've got to give him a chance in the team so we can decide that he's overrated and we don't like him and it's time for someone else. At least give us the opportunity exactly. to make that decision for ourselves. <laughs> Don't leave us not knowing, you know. <laughs> Just give us a little glimpse. We can see him put a pass into touch and say, all right, sling him out. That's all they need to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it, it's going to be a really interesting one. And I suspect um might be one of those cases that plays out slightly longer mm. over the summer, you know, probably he will come back and join up with the squad. Probably there will be discussions with the manager. Probably they will have a look at him as opposed to a Rob Holding or a Pablo Marie or whoever else it yeah. might be. Um, but I agree with you. One of those centre-halves, I don't think is going to be in the squad next season. I just don't think yeah. we've got the games because you're right. You've got uh, Callum Chambers who can play there as well. You've even got in an absolute bind people like Kieran Tierney or Mohamed Elneny who've slotted in there before. I just think we don't need five senior centre-halves. Mm. It will be very interesting to see how it plays out because, look, we're all, um, you know, looking at what's happening and looking at it from a distance without all the information. You know, the fear is, obviously, this is going to be very negative for, for William Saliba. But, look, nothing has happened yet so we are speculating and let's see uh, let's see how it plays out but uh, you know it wouldn't surprise me if if our interest in in another central defender brought about 
at the very least uh, another lone move for Saliba. Mm. I mean, what do you make of this? Um, Kieran E on the Discord said, if we're one of the best defensive teams in the league last season and our priority signing seems to be a central uh, defender when we already have four or five, are our priorities wrong this summer? And I, I think it's I think it's an interesting discussion, isn't it? Because everyone everyone wants us to be more creative, to score yeah. more goals, to to make more chances, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we're being linked with a defender. I mean, is there any issue with the club doing business like this as long as all the other stuff gets done first? Doesn't yeah, really I mean, matter, think- does it? I, th- I guess we're inferring from the fact that this is the deal that we've heard about, mm. that that's the priority. And I think it's more complex than that. Firstly, we know for a fact that they have worked and are working on other deals. Mm. Um, it's just that this is the one that has come to light. And I guess it's a big chunk of money. So people are are talking about it in those terms. But I think it's very difficult for us to really contextualise that fee until we see what else they spend in other areas. You know, mm. if it's like, oh, guess what? We only had nine ninety nine left to spend on a number ten. Yeah. Then yeah, uh, yeah. that will be rather different. But I don't think that is the case. And I think a creative midfielder is still a, a, the priority, if anything. I strongly suspect that that's still Martin Odegaard. Um, but there's obviously a lot of problems around potentially doing that deal. I don't think it'd be straightforward and it might be one that they're waiting on news from Madrid for. Um, mm. You know, there's a new manager there. There's probably discussions to be had about what his role would be with Real. So uh, it's. A, it, it, I understand the frustration of we don't score enough goals and we're being linked with the centre-half, but I don't think we can infer from that that they're not trying to address other problems. I also think that maybe there are things a centre-half can bring you um, that can help. I mean, if you think about what Arsenal looked like, to my eyes anyway, Mm. with and without David Luiz last season, I think there was a a palpable difference. And if you've got someone at the back who can really help you progress the ball, um, inevitably it's going to give you more opportunities at the other end of the pitch. So I Mm. think these things are linked, even though it may feel kind of backwards. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, if there are worries or, you know, I do think perhaps the the David Luiz as the master distributor thing was a bit overcooked, mm-hmm. you know, because he could pick a pass, um, you know, but a footballer who can pass a football shouldn't be that surprising. But I do see what Luiz brought to us in terms of some of his distribution from deep and the way that he could use the ball. So, yeah, maybe it does help. Maybe it does help if you've got, um, you know, a smart passer or someone who can carry the ball out of defense to to sort of pull teams apart a little bit. If that can help um, you attack, that makes a lot of sense. So maybe that's part of it, you know? Yeah, could be. Uh, oh, we had a question about Calv, actually. Calv Tom Zero says, off the back of the England performance, what did you make of Calvin Phillips? colossal performance in the midfield I've been Mm. banging his drum for a while as the kind of player Arsenal need and he's homegrown would he be a good Neves alternative Um, is he the same kind of player as Neves I don't know he was very good yesterday wasn't he he was really very good and he got away with a lot of fouls 
Um, which, which is a useful skill. Yeah, which would immediately lose that uh, if he became an Arsenal player. He'd, That's true. He was like, oh, but ref, it's my first foul. Yeah, but you're Arsenal player, yellow card. Um, oh, he's a good player. I think he looks a good player. What what age is he? About 24, 25. 25. I mean, I would say maybe this is one where you'd have to be tread very carefully just because we know about tournament inflation particularly regarding English players, you know, who have mm. Owen Hargreaves comes back from the Euros, a £50 million player or whatever it is. Like, it does feel like this happens a little bit. Probably has already happened with Ben White to an extent. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah. Yeah, getting called up and getting his first couple of caps. You know, if, if Calvin Phillips keeps playing like this, what will his asking price be mm. by the end of the summer? You know, something absolutely ludicrous. I think he is a good player, but I guess I guess what Arsenal probably needs to do is catch these players before they're starting regularly for England. And maybe that is what they think they might be doing with Ben with White. With Ben White, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that does make a lot of sense. If you're looking at a transfer strategy where you're you're trying to not unearth hidden gems, because I don't know that they exist anymore, but if you're looking to, uh, you know, bring in players who can develop at the football club, um, it makes a lot more sense, doesn't it, than buying these sort of end-of-career guys or bringing in guys whose whose experience is supposed to get you where you need to go, but in the end, it doesn't. So, um, yeah, yeah, maybe the well, maybe the ship has sailed a little bit with Calvin Phillips in terms of his price. <laughs> I I fear it may have done. I mean, uh, on the subject of Ruben Neves, Portugal play Hungary. Uh, tomorrow, Tuesday. Right. I don't know if he's expected to start, but I know he's, you know, quite often a regular with Portugal, so it might be worth keeping an eye out. Um, get a look of him at a different team other than Wolves. I know mm. a few fans watched him in one of the warm-up friendlies and he was quite impressive on that day. So, yeah, it could be worth one keeping an eye out for. Okay. At Lock Your Jonathan says, do we really need that many transfers? Happy with defence and attack. Chambers and Cedric cover right back. Maybe a left back cover. Odegaard or similar in midfield. Even open to cleaning out the forward line. With a core of Leno, Holding, Tierney, Party, Saka, Smith-Rowe, Pepe. Very strong to build around. And I think the um, the dichotomy of the transfer window is summed up by this one from the Discord, which says, Isn't it mad that in the later Wenger years we were apparently always just one or two signings from a title-challenging team. Not that we ever made those signings. And now we barely know where to start with signings. How did we get here? So do we need lots of signings or not that many or just the classic one or two? Well, I think we had a question last week about what would be the kind of bare minimum, you know. Mm. And I think, I forget exactly, but we ended up with about three, was it three-ish signings? Or maybe four that we were like, Mm. really those need to get done. And I stand by that sort of tally, really, in those mm. sorts of areas. I think the question is right. I think we've got some really exciting players, especially young players, to kind of build around and work with. But mm. there are clear gaps. You know, we're talking about number 10 as being one. I think certainly if Granit Xhaka goes, and arguably even if he doesn't, just with Danny Sabahs gone, there's a gap in central midfield in the, in the deeper areas. Um, I think there's clearly a gap a goalkeeper behind Bern Leno where someone needs to to come in so yeah I, I think um, there are a number of areas that are weak and need strengthening as for the kind of one or two signings things I mean 
what's really changed is our league position, hasn't it? I mean, we always felt we were in touching distance and mm. I think a lot of other clubs have kind of overtaken us, certainly in terms of their recruitment. And it's it's left us in a position where it feels like um, we are further away. I, I wonder as well how much of that is down to having a clear style. I mean, with Wenger, it always felt like we had an attacking game mm. that was absolutely... Uh, what's the word? That, that worked. It worked, essentially. Yeah. And we had one problem, which is that defensively we were poor. So we needed a centre-half and a holding midfield player, perennial. Which, yeah, which is why we went and bought Andre Arshavin. Exactly. <laughs> and, and we kind of never really addressed that issue. Um, I think maybe with Arteta's Arsenal, the style is less coherent less clear and so it's it's more difficult to go well if I, we only added a right back everything would be fixed but yeah I think I think number 10 is the one really I think that that is the the one that has to be the most important because defensively our record is decent um I think I'm gonna have to go and deal with that dog in a minute but <laughs> uh but I think you know we need to create more chances we need to score more goals that's yeah. the one that if we haven't addressed it come the end of the summer, I think it's going to put a serious limit on our potential for next year. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I think people are kind of more for, not forgiving is the wrong word, but I think if you're a team that can score a lot of goals, it does go some way to, um, you're obviously doing something right. If you're scoring lots of goals, you're doing kind of the most important thing in football, right? So it's finding that balance between defensive solidity and, and creating those chances and, and scoring the goals where, you know, that, um, that appears to have happened with us in that we do have a, a defensive record that stacks up relatively well. It doesn't feel like it all the time, but it, it's true. Um, but the issue is we don't score enough goals and don't make enough chances. And that's maybe a consequence of, of how we're being set up to be more defensively solid. So mm. do you want to have a word with the dog or? Yeah, I think she's, she's woken up and she is like, oh shit, I'm alone. And oh. she hates to be alone. So I'm going to go and show her that I am alive and in the house. And okay. hopefully that will reassure her. Okay. Give me one second. No problem. Oh, you're loud, actually. Right. Shush. <laughs> That's it. Dogs understand English perfectly. They do, though. Actually, mine do, anyway. Can't say a word. Maybe we need a, a dog jingle to put in here to uh, sort of fill the dead air too hungover for the uh, for the chit chat. Hello, you're back. She okay? I'm back. She's, She's quiet. Better. Let's hope it lasts. Let's hope it lasts. Uh, is it my question or your question? I don't know whose question oh, it is. I don't know, actually. Have you got one there? Um, uh, oh, I've got one, actually. Don't worry. Okay. Um, the Admiral on Twitter at Jim Marquis. Jim Marquis? Marquis? Don't know. If Arsenal extend Eddie's contract to protect his value... 
Do you think they will send him out on loan to increase his value? Or do you think, pardon me, <laughs> that's my hangover. Or do you think they will keep him in the squad? I don't know why Eddie and Kedia would sign a contract. I think that's absolutely right. I think that's absolutely right. I can see why the club would offer him an extension, mm-hmm. even if you're going to sell him this summer. Selling a player who's got two years left on his deal, or three, or four, or five, is likely to extract a bigger fee than selling a player who's got one. Yeah, but from the player's point of view, you've got far. I mean, you're likely to have more offers. Absolutely. When your contract is coming to an end because your price is lower, the club know you want to go, etc., etc. So while it makes some sense for Arsenal to try and do it, it doesn't really make any sense from the player's point of view. And I don't know why his agent would advise him to to do that. Same no. agent as I, I, Saka, isn't it? And, uh, same agent as Saka, Balogun, uh, a few others. But I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think Arsenal probably are just trying to protect the investment. The player's aware of that, you mm. would imagine. So why would he do that when, when this summer or even next, uh, he's got incredible options, you know, lots of choice, you would think. Um, so, yeah, I, I still think the likelihood is he'll leave, to be honest with you. I think so, too. Um, yeah. I mean, there, there must have been in the discussions with Balagoon, you know, over his contract, this is the same agent. So what is what is Edu telling the agent to convince Balagoon to sign a new deal at Arsenal when he did have options, you know, to go to clubs in Europe and maybe play more regularly uh, mm-hmm. at an earlier age? You know, Edu has got to, I mean, not that Inkeri is the elephant in the room, but he's certainly got to be a factor in the discussions because you're telling an agent one thing about one of his clients, which is probably going to have a negative impact on another one. Mm. Yeah, I don't know how you possibly can manage that situation. I think it's really tricky. Mm. Two strikers, same agent, competing for the same spot in the squad, essentially. Mm. I also think Eddie... Eddie's 22 now. He needs to play. I think he really does need to go and get some proper minutes. I mean, he's not had a substantial loan spell. He went to Leeds for half a season, wasn't really a starter there. Mm. So he's never really played a full season of senior football and seen where that takes him. I think he needs to do that for his own career. Um, And I think, I think he will. I think he'll sort of try and wrest control of his career, to be honest. And I don't think he'll sign that contract. I think he'll, he'll find somewhere to go and hopefully Arsenal strike a deal. But what do you make of the, I've seen people criticise the club for not selling him in January, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and previous to January, he was involved on a semi-regular basis. He'd started some games in the Premier League. At one point, um, which is a testament to how bad we were, he was our leading scorer last season. Mm. So where do you stand on the idea that we should have sold him in January because he was a more valuable asset? Was there the chance to sell him in January? Was anyone interested I mean, we didn't use him much in the second half of the season and, you know, thusly his value has diminished. But, like, I'm just – I'm not sure there were a pile of clubs knocking down our door for Eddie and Keddie in January, were there? I don't know. 
Um, but I, I suspect that if there were any, Mikel Arteta's very public dismissal of the possibility of selling him um, may have dampened some of that interest. Mm. I think it's very... Well, look, certainly with hindsight, that would have been the right thing to do. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people argued it at the time too. I think the return of Gabriel Martinelli from injury, albeit um, a kind of cagey return around that time of year, meant that with Aubameyang, Lacazette... Don't forget as well, we just transitioned to using Aubameyang through the middle, I think, in that kind of period, um, and playing with a number 10 in Smith-Rowe, and then Odegaard came in. Uh, I think we probably could have afforded to let Eddie go, either permanently or even temporarily. I mean, you know, half a season of Premier League football, if he'd scored half a dozen goals, um, Mm. probably would have put another... Five million on his price tag, or whatever it might be. Uh, I don't think that would have been the worst thing in the world either, or shown us something that we've not seen from him thus far. He might have done something similar to what Joe Willock has achieved, you know. Mm. Um, but we didn't do that, and ultimately the second half of his campaign felt like stagnation. He didn't really get any minutes, didn't really get any opportunities, didn't really make any strides forward. Um, and I think suffered a real blow, obviously, with the England 21s. They went out at the group stage of that tournament, uh, meaning he didn't have any competitive football this summer with yeah. the knockouts, uh, which, again, would have been a really good platform for him, you would think. So, yeah, I think it probably was a mistake to not let him leave in that time. And I expect it's one they'll they'll put right. Um, but I don't get the impression that the contract offer they've made to Eddie is one that says to him, yeah, you're the future part of our future. Yeah. 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 Um, Well, while we're on the uh, subject of strikers, Jack Linehan, who's at JJ 15 Q on Twitter says, morning gents. Very curious. Do you really think losing Lacazette in a free next year is that bad? Keep him this season as there will be games that suit him and not give him a big contract should free up the wage bill nicely. Hmm. Um, I don't think it's that bad if they make a number of other sales. You know, it it does kind of feel... In isolation, it's bad. You know, a £50 million player leaving for nothing. You can't really argue that's anything but bad. But if they were to recoup, you know, £80 million in cash from other sales mm. and said made a kind of technical case of we want to keep Lacazette for an extra year because, you know, Balogun and Martinelli aren't quite ready yet, then I could live with it. I could live with it. But I know others will disagree. I suspect you'll disagree with that. Yeah, I think it would be bad. I think it will. I mean, I can see a football rationale for it, but I think there comes a point where, as a club, you have to stop doing bad things. And letting- yeah, I guess I'm kind of talking on the assumption that maybe there isn't interest at the level where it becomes worth it, mm. if you see what I mean. Mm. Yeah, I that's don't know. True. But if someone comes in, they're like, do you want five million for Lacazette? I do wonder if it might be like, well, no, I'd rather have Lacazette sort of thing. Yeah, maybe that. Yeah, maybe you get more goals um, than that five million is worth, if that makes sense. Yes, yeah, exactly. But- yeah. As a, as a general kind of rule, we have to stop letting players go for free. Have I agree to. with that. Yeah. I agree with that, for yeah. sure. 
And, and if someone comes in at a, an appropriate price, I think Arsenal absolutely have to take it. And obviously people have different opinions on what that price should be. But, you know, anything north of kind of 10 million sterling, I think you need to look at very, very seriously. Yeah. Uh, for the difference it can make. But it will come down to how much faith I think Arteta has in Martinelli and Balogun too. You know, I don't think they're in a hurry. I don't think they're desperate to add a number nine to the list of other business they have to attend to this summer. Mm. Um, and I don't know, you know, we've spoken about Arteta being kind of wary of relying on a very young centre-half. Would he be wary of relying on a very young centre-forward too? Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, a lot of people have uh, asked this and qualified it by saying, well, I can't see anybody else has asked this, but one from the Discord. <laughs> They've asked nonetheless. Two Gun Pete says, at Gunner Blog, Bisuma? Bisuma. I think, I, think that's how he's, I think that's how he's saying it. He goes, Bisuma? Yeah, Bisuma. I mean, after the Buendia outrage, Bisuma's the one to watch, I think, isn't it? In mm -hmm. terms of kind of fan disappointment, yeah. if you don't get it. Yeah. Um. I blame Clive Palmer for this. I think <laughs> he's so insightful and articulate that when he says a player is good, anyone who has listened to him on a podcast immediately, I do it too, kind of subsumes that view. By osmosis, uh, it becomes their position. Clive Moses. Um, exactly. Uh, Basuma, I mean, all I know about Basuma is what I've said elsewhere, which is that, you know, the club like him, he's on a list. Um, I don't know that he's uh, necessarily number one on that list. It doesn't feel that way. Um, but I might be wrong. I, I, I know for a fact that in every position, Arsenal have a kind of A, B, C, D mm. of who they want. And while it can be possible to extract or figure out who is who that A, B and C and D are, mm. it's very difficult to know who's A. Um, and I, I, I don't know on Basuma. I do wonder if they might be looking for something slightly different in midfield. You know, when you think about the way Arteta's teams play and have played to date, mm. I do just wonder, you know, if Shaka really is going to go, and obviously it seems like he wants to and that Roma would like to sign him. Um, I do just wonder if that skill set someone who's more analogous, shall we say, with Shaka mm. might be the target. I mean, you know, and Neves, in terms of his range of passing, the kind of distribution he offers, I know Basuma can pass as well, but mm. I just feel like stylistically, is that going to be more of a fit? What do you think? I, I genuinely don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe some of the stuff that people are looking for from a Basuma, you know, could be part of Partey's game. When he's fully yeah, fit. Yeah, that, that's know? the other thing that I sort of think. Yeah, I know they're very different, mm. but equally there is overlap in some areas. Yeah. And look, I'm really just quite interested. Uh, look, uh, as much as anybody, I want us to make signings, but I'm really interested to see what kind of signings we make and what that tells us about what way we're going to develop this team, you know? Because it'll tell yeah. us a lot stylistically about what we can expect from next season, uh, you know, if, for example, let's say we sell Lacazette 
and we bring in a sort of mid-age, mid-20 striker, that would be quite interesting to me. Or are they going to, you know, are they going to entrust Martinelli and Balogun to to back up Aubameyang, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I'm really just interested to see what kind of player comes in, what it tells us about what way we're going to play. Um, like, you know, there's, if Basuma is on the list, apparently Neves is on the list as well. They're very different players, you know. Um, yeah, they are. And then um, does that another speak to name two is, midfield is the guy Anderlecht, Laconga, yeah. Yeah. who, again, is a different type. You know, someone who uh, is a, a ball carrier, really, someone who can dribble. He has got a good range of passing on him as well. But, you know, uh, there is a real mix of qualities there. And I guess it will be about finding a chemistry. Mm. Right? It won't just necessarily be about signing like-for-like players, but having a mix that enables Arteta to do different things in different games too. Mm. Um, it, it is it is really... It's a puzzle that's being pieced together before our eyes and uh, we're kind of trying to read the tea leaves and see what we might end up with. I, I am sort of at the point where... I wouldn't say I've been sucked in, but... I am at the point where I am excited for change. You know, I'm excited to see new players, new things from this Arsenal team. And that hasn't quite translated into optimism yet. Mm. But... um, I know what you mean. I'm I'm ready for, you know, something slightly fresh next season. Okay. Um, Almost time to go, but we have one here from... We had one here from the Discord and I've lost it. Okay, yeah, uh, we've got a couple of listeners here with some big problems. Rick Stomatic on the Discord said, My wife got this bird feeder for the garden. It told me that it would it would attract the nice little birds, you know, the cute ones. Mm. It hasn't, and now my garden just gets magpies coming in and shitting everywhere. What can I do to stop these terrible creatures? And on Twitter, we have one from... God, I'm fucking hopeless today. That's the... That's the hangover. Uh, Joshy Gooner, who's at Joshy Abbott, says, question for Gunner Blog. Magpies have been dropping bread on me from above while I sit in my garden. Is this a declaration of peace or war? They've been dropping bread. Whatever you do, do not eat that bread. I suspect it's laced with poison. Or LSD or something like that. They want to get you. Exactly. An act of kindness from a magpie is always to be treated with suspicion. I don't remember who said that. I think it was... Shakespeare or Oscar Wilde, yeah, someone like that. Yeah, Oscar Wilde, yeah. Sounds like, um, sounds like his. But I, yeah, I'm fascinated by the problem of the bird feeder. I mean... It's like putting it, a shark attractor in your fucking swimming pool and then saying, well, fuck, I didn't think there'd be any sharks. Yeah, oh, I, oh, I, I, put a, I just dragged a carcass behind my boat, hoping it would attract, you know, yeah, the nice little goldfish. Nemo. Just one exactly. Nemo. I just hope Nemo would swim up to the surface with his dad and smile at me. Yeah. And instead, you've got a great Jaws. white. The yeah. the magpie is the great white of the skies. <laughs> it is. It is. You know, magpies' beaks when they open their beaks, they've got razor teeth in there. Like a shark, 400 teeth in every magpie beak. There is a new magpie fact that I didn't know. I just assumed that when a magpie opened its beak, another smaller little alien magpie head came out as well. 
But they say if you look into a magpie beak, it, it's like you lose your mind. Like it's like staring into a black hole and people never recover from it. So the only advice we can give is, A, get rid of the bird feeder. Because yeah, straight away burn that. It's 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 a magpie attractor. That's what it's actually. I want a video sent to us of that being set alight in the garden. Um, while the magpies watch on. Yeah, in horror. In horror. They'll get their revenge though. They will. Well that's the issue. I, I mean so you're if doomed he takes now. the bird feeder away, how will they respond? By dropping bread on him? Poisoned bread? Who knows? I think the only option this guy has is to move house now. Just move house. His only option is to live underground. That's the only safe place. From magpies, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Become a mole man. A subterranean man. society. <laughs> Free from the, the yoke of magpie tyranny at last. Although exactly. with slightly poorer eyesight and less hygienic living conditions. It's quite muddy Absolutely. down there, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, um, right. Shall we? We shall go. All right, listen, thank you, uh, everyone, for being here. Thanks, as always, for listening, downloading, subscribing, and all the rest. We've got something for Patreon members midweek. Watch out for that regular Arsecast on Friday. In the meantime, enjoy the Euros, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.